Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. So several months ago, I was driving home from the station and I got pulled over. Like, I don't even know where the cop came from. Really? Yes. I don't even know where he came from. All of a sudden, boom, there's lights and I pull over and... (laughs) And he's like, I saw that you were on your phone. Now, this is before the the state law. law that you can't be on your phone, right? So he's like, I saw that you were on your phone. I was like, yeah. And he goes, what were you doing on your phone that was so important? I said, nothing. Nothing that was important enough for me to be on my phone right now. Like, I just should not have been. And he's like, well, do you have Bluetooth in your car? And I said, I do. And he's like, do you know how to use it? Do you want some help learning? How-? And I was like, I have it. I know how to use it. I just was in the wrong I should not have been on my phone. And he's like, okay, well, and I I felt like at every turn he was trying to get out of giving me the ticket. And I was like, bro, I'm totally guilty. Just give me the ticket. I wanted the ticket because I knew I was guilty and I shouldn't have been doing it. And I felt so bad. I was like, I will not lie to you. No, I was not on my, he's like, he even asked, were you pulling up navigation? To try to, I mean, he was like giving me every out. I was like, no, I wasn't. (laughs) I just, I was not having any of the excuses. I was like, give me the ticket. I deserve it. Yep. And I think he was trying to give me grace. Mm -hmm. And I did not deserve grace. And so I wouldn't receive it. And I think sometimes we do this in, in our relationship with the Lord. We feel so badly about what we have done against him that we reject the very thing that he is offering to us. I have a personal experience that I can share, but maybe you want to jump into that quote you're going to share first. Oh, no, I want to hear your story. Okay. Yeah, so it was Sunday night, and I got this thought on my mind that I was curious about. And so I Googled it, and I realized, oh, this was stupid. Oh, it's going to lead you to someplace you don't want to be. Yeah, this was foolish. And this is changing the way I'm looking at the world. Mm. And so, so I, you know, I made that mistake and, and I repented and, but I just kept telling myself that was so stupid. That was so Mm. foolish. That was so foolish. And I, and I had to catch myself because I was, I was flogging myself Mm -hmm. and, and the Lord was just saying, yeah, it was foolish, but you know what? That's why I came. That's right. <laughs> That's why I came to forgive you. So accept my forgiveness. It was like, I wanted the ticket. Yeah, I I get it, man. I get it big time. So here's the quote I want to share with you about grace. Lord, it's, give me the ticket. <laughs> right. Here's the quote. It says, to say that someone deserves grace is a contradiction in terms. You can no more deserve grace than you can plan your own surprise party. In the same way that planning voids the idea of surprise. So claiming to deserve voids the idea of grace. You can ask for it. You can beg for it. You can plead for it. But the minute that you think you deserve it, the it you think you deserve is no longer grace. It's something that you have earned. God loves you. He sees you. I know we beat ourselves up over stuff. If you're beating yourself up over something this morning, the Lord who sent his son to die for you so that he could be in love relationship with you, he's just waiting to wrap his arms around you and to give you just the biggest dose of grace. And all you have to do is receive it. 
Man, if my family knew everything that I've ever done, all the bad things I've ever done, I think there'd be a little struggle with shame in my family. I know they'd accept me, but they'd probably Hmm. look at me a little differently. I don't know if you've ever brought shame to your family. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Lucy, Susan, Edmund, and Peter go to Narnia. Edmund's heart is dark, and as soon as he gets to Narnia, he betrays his siblings to the White Witch. He does it because of selfishness and greed. He wants all the praise. He wants all the Turkish delight he can eat. He wants all the Toblerone he can eat. Mm, Oh, man, you're getting personal now. Shauna loves that chocolate stuff. I do. Aslan, the great lion, protects Lucy, Susan, and Peter from the White Witch, but the lion gives up his life for Edmund's treachery. And even though Edmund's siblings are so angry with him and so hurt by him, they've been just really crushed by him. They are never once ashamed of him. I never realized that before until I started thinking about it yesterday. They weren't ashamed of him, and they point to Jesus. Even though Edmund did all this stuff and caused the death of Aslan, they don't push Edmund out of their mm. family. You know, honestly, too, they, they do a good job of grieving the death of Aslan and being honest about their feelings about that, but they don't put it on him. Yeah. They don't project, you know, or, or make him the target of all their feelings. And C.S. Lewis, of course, wrote the story, so I'm sure, I'm sure he had christ in mind Mm -hmm. as he showed the response of the siblings towards edmund jesus knows everything about you and me but he's not ashamed to call us brother to call us sister think about that i mean let it sink in i have i think of all the shameful things i've done and jesus is not ashamed of me hebrews 2 11 to 13 gets at this Both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, Jesus says, here am I and the children God has given me. Jesus wanted so much to show us that he's not ashamed of us that he was willing to become one of us. Think of how humbling it was for the Word of God, the Son, to become flesh and humble himself. He was the great King of glory from eternity, and he becomes one of us. That's how much he wanted to show us that he's not ashamed of us. Yeah, and the the scandalous part of that is that he became like us so that we could become like him. There it is. He became human with all the temptations, all the frailty, so that we could be, we could become righteous. Yes. He came to get it right where we have blown it. Yep. And the writer of Hebrews uses three Old Testament quotations to show us how Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. The first one is, these are the words of the Messiah from the Old Testament. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. This is staggering 
the one worthy of worship, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, humbles himself to lead us in worshiping God. That's what it says. It says that Jesus is our worship leader, our true worship leader when we gather together. Mm. He's worthy of worship, and we, of course, worship him, but Jesus is leading us in worshiping God. He is God. How can that be? How can he not worship himself? Well, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are giving love and worship and adoration and honor and glory to one another. And so even within God, the Trinity, I mean, this is mind-blowing stuff, but there's never a self-focused worship. Yeah. It's, it's other. I'm, I'm pouring love into the Father and into the Spirit, and the Father's pouring love into the Spirit and into the Son. I mean, it's, it, he yeah. shows us how to be in community with each other, right? Like he shows us how to be in relationship with him, how to be in relationship with the Father, but also that communal aspect of love for one another and honor for one another and just being other focused is an image for us to emulate. Right. And from eternity, this is what Father, Son, and Spirit have been doing. And it's been pure joy. Yeah. It's pure joy to worship. And so Jesus shows us where joy is found by leading us in worship to the Father. Does that make sense? And to the Spirit. So, and then the second quote, these are the words of Jesus. I will put my trust in him. Jesus is saying, I, as a human being, will put my trust in God. As the eternal creator, Jesus makes himself completely vulnerable. Think about it. He is planted in the womb of a 14-year-old Jewish girl. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even know at that point that he's needing to trust. He's completely trusting his mom and he doesn't know it. And, and at his birth, he's completely vulnerable. He puts himself in that position. He learned to depend on God for everything and he knows how hard it is. What are you going through right now that's really hard? It's just so hard to trust God. You never saw life going the way that it's going. Mm. And, and it just seems like I don't have any faith. Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Jesus knows how hard it is because he had to learn it as a human. And then finally, the words of the Messiah, here am I and the children God has given me. And this is like Jesus literally puts his arms around us like a proud daddy with his kids and says, look at my kids. I'm so proud of them. I am so proud of them. And he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, I'm so proud of you. And I am not ashamed to show you to the world with all your flaws and all your failures and all your foibles and all your sins. I'm loving you and I'm proud to show you to the world. I think that we we can conjure up an image of the father in our mind as being angry, waiting to watch us fail and you know, judge us. And we see Jesus as the one, oh yeah, he was human. He like he gets us. We we get him and he gets us and the humanity thing, right? Holy Spirit, we might wrestle with trying to figure that one out a little bit. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've mm-hmm. seen the Father. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the the part of me that goes, you go, oh yeah, he he's one of us. He he gets us. He loves us. He's mm-hmm. he doesn't judge us. He's 
that's a perfect representation of the Father. Yes, that is so good that Jesus came not only to show us that he's, he's not ashamed of us, it's an expression of how the Father feels. The Father said, hey, go show them how I feel toward them. Right, and Jesus also said when he said, I'm going to go and it's good if I go because then the Father will send the Spirit and he's just like me, mm. he said. So, you know, I don't know where we get this idea of, you know, this one's angry, that one's, you know, I can't mm-hmm. wrap my mind around that one, but this one I understand because Jesus is the perfect representation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's so beautiful. And then Jesus takes a leap we never expected until after the fact. He's so not ashamed of us that he took all of our shame on himself to make us his own. I've got some good news. Are you ready? Okay, here's the good news. Isaiah 30, 15. Whether you're ready or not, here it comes. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. I know I said it was good news and it has that last line. It's like, man, why wouldn't you just stop right before that last line, right? But in repentance and rest is your salvation. It's when we acknowledge how we've sinned against God and we we have to recognize we're a sinner before we can be saved. We have to know that there's something that we need to be saved from. And so when we're honest about our lives, I think when we look at the holiness of God and we see him for who he is, we're able to see ourselves for who we are and our great need for him. And when we repent, when we say, I don't want to keep sinning against you, not only it's not, I'm grateful for all the ways that you've saved me and I'm just going to keep doing my thing, knowing I've got this safety net of salvation underneath me. That's, that's not it. It's, it's in saying, I no longer want to hurt your heart, God. I want to love you the way that you love me. And I want to love other people the way that you love other people. And I think with repentance, it's Lord, I'm so sorry. This, I know that this sin hurts your heart and I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm choosing, Lord, not to go there anymore. Now, am I ever going to go there again? I might, but I'm choosing not to. It's my prayer, Lord, that I would never do that again. Right. It's not about choosing perfection or making some promise that you can't keep. Right. It's about saying, I know that there are things that I need to shift in my life. I keep running into this and I keep sinning against your heart and I don't want to anymore. So show me the way out because scripture does say that God always shows us a way out when we're tempted. He'll show us a way out. And there's a reason if I keep on sinning and I've had times in my life where I've committed the same sin again and again and again, there, there's a reason that I'm doing that. Right. And, and so it would be Lord Show me what's in my heart. Show me why I keep on doing this. And I think for me, it's bringing that into the light, bringing that into the light with another brother in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's one that way that's really broken, you know, that, that habitual thing for me yeah. is bringing it to another. And now when I, when I do blow it, I'm sad that I've hurt the Lord's heart and I repent, but I'm also embarrassed because I know I've got to go to this person, this person, and this person because I'm committed to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. there's that's, that's humbling. That's humbling. And that's real accountability. That takes real courage to open up 
the places in your heart where you're tempted to other people or where you've sinned. To I've had people. to learn it. Yeah. One for me, a sin that seems to be repeated again and again that I wrestle with is gluttony. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. No, I've never seen that in you, to be honest. Oh, gosh. No, it's like it's connected to pride and it's connected to thinking that I'm deserving of something. So like if I if I work, if I have a really hard work day or whatever, then I think I deserve a treat and I'll, you know, a cup of coffee from Starbucks or something like that or. Hold it now. Is that gluttony? I think it can be. Okay. If you don't know where to stop, I think that's where the gluttony problem is. So like. Yeah. If you're going to guzzle seven cups of Starbucks, I mean, that's gluttony. (laughs) That's gluttony. No, when we, okay. Costco has these Toblerone bars that you can buy. Do you know what Toblerone is? I've gotten you those. Yes, it is my favorite, favorite chocolate. And at Christmas time, they sell this whole package of like, I don't know, it's like eight, nine bars in a clunk, you know, just a, a whole bunch of chocolate. And I will buy that for myself. But the problem is, so my thing, my self-discipline is that whatever the package says a serving is, that's what I can have in a sitting. Mm-hmm. That's just like a life rule okay. that I have for myself, right? So. And I would tell this to my kids when they were little. If they, if I, we had a bag of Oreos in the house because they were left over from something because I didn't usually keep that stuff in the house. Then they'd say, you know, how many can I have? And I'd say, well, what's a serving? Check the package. And they're like, two. And I'm like, well, then you can have two. And they're like, what is wrong with my mother? <laughs> but with the Toblerone, it, I think it's like three squares is one serving, three or triangles rather, three little triangles. But I will have the three and then I'll have a fourth and then I'll have a fifth and then I'll have a sixth and then I've eaten the whole bar. and I can just see you with those because they're, they're long and skinny mm-hmm. and just kind of pushing them into your yeah, mouth just one after another. Yeah, they're so good. <sighs> but what it is for me when I get gluttonous is there's something I'm trying to satisfy. <laughs> You're laughing at yourself. I am. You're entertained with yourself. There's something that I'm trying to satisfy that only God can satisfy, but it's in, and it's not saying I'm never going to, you know, eat an entire chocolate bar again as long as I live, but in repentance and rest is your salvation. It's in saying, I don't want to keep turning to chocolate when the God of the universe who made me and loves me has something so much sweeter for me. Yeah. I, want, well, I don't want to turn to lesser things. No pun intended? Something sweeter for me? No, that was intended. Okay. I'm clever like that, Perry. you got to pay okay. attention. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm no Scott Curtis. <laughs> Point for Shauna. It was intended. Shauna one, Perry zero. <laughs> so here's the good news. Good news for you and me. Let's not be those who have none of it. Let's be those who embrace it. It's Isaiah 30, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. On Monday, I met with my small group and we had an assignment from the previous week to write out our timeline of just spiritual markers in our life, things that were significant, moments in which God made himself known to us in a new way. And and I remember very specifically, you know, there's a moment when, you know, I felt like I felt like things were really risky and I needed to step out in faith and God showed me that he was with me and that he 
He kept me safe. I could do risky things because no matter what the outcome was on the risky thing, God would keep me safe. And then another moment when, you know, God revealed to me that he was the God who provides for me. I thought, man, there's no way I lack so much. There's no way that this can come through. And then God came through and he showed me that he is the God who's the provider. And I can, it's so cool to look back in your own life and, and see the places where God showed up and showed you different parts of his character Scripture is that for us as well. When we open up the Word of God and we read the different stories, different parts of who God is are revealed in those stories. Like with Jacob, you know, he he's the God who endures through generations. With Mary, he's the God whose favor rests upon the lowly. So as we dive into God's Word, we can come to know God for who he truly is and worship him for the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who he was then, he is now. Are you ever frightened by death? I am. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Lucy, Susan, Edmund, and Peter go into Narnia. Edmund's heart is full of treachery, though. So as soon as he gets to Narnia, he betrays his siblings to the White Witch. And for his treachery, Aslan, the great and beautiful lion, has to die for Peter's wickedness. But what's this? Aslan has risen. Lucy and Susan saw Aslan die, but now they see him breathing. Aslan, what does it all mean? It means, says Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, that a traitor must die, or I in their place, that though the witch knew that deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she didn't know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back before time dawned, she would have known. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, death itself would start working backward. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is telling us in chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So I look at this passage and I see by Jesus' death, He broke the power of death. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that seem strange? How did Jesus' death conquer death? How did death conquer death? Ever thought about that? It's, It's a very profound thing that Jesus Christ did, that he conquered death by dying. Satan knew the deep magic. He knew that if he could get Adam and Eve to fall, he could get the rest of us throughout all of human history to be subject to sin and death. But he didn't learn of the deeper magic until it was too late. When God became human, he knew something was up. Mm -hmm. God became human in the person of Jesus. And he, he lived out a perfectly obedient life as a human being. He did what Adam couldn't do, didn't do. He did what we could never do, that we haven't done. He lived out that perfectly obedient life. And then he went to the cross. And he took the curse of disobedient human beings like you and me. He took the curse on himself. So his perfect obedience came to us 
and our curse went to him. Mm-hmm. And because he lived out that perfectly obedient life, he received from the Father the blessing. The blessing is resurrection. If you can live out a perfect life, you can be raised from the dead. And so he broke the curse of fallen humans by living out that perfect life of obedience. And that's how he conquered death, is by living it out perfectly on our behalf. And then God had to raise him from the dead. And when he rose, death started working itself backwards. And because he died for us and he rose for us, death is working itself backwards for you and me. So you and I have been invited to be a part, we're called to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God. When when God invites us into his family, we also become a part of the family business and we've got a job to do and it's letting the world know who he is. And when he invites us into the work that he's doing in the world today, it always brings us to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Crisis of belief, basically You know, it's a turning point where you have to make a decision. It's a situation that forces you to decide what you truly believe about God. And the way that you respond at that point will determine whether you become involved with what God's doing in this God-sized thing that he's got going on or whether you're going to just continue to do life your own way and, and miss out on a purpose that God has for your life, something that he has purposed specifically for you. There's a story of a man by the name of Burl Kane, and he experienced a crisis of belief. He became the warden at the Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola, Louisiana. It was one of the largest and most violent men's prisons in America. There were over 5,200 inmates with 3,700 serving life sentences. 88 men were waiting on death row. And murders and acts of violence occurred regularly within this prison. So hopelessness just really prevailed. And Burl sensed that God was telling him that he was supposed to bring hope to these inmates. And it seemed impossible. He was like, his worst, his workplace felt like the most hopeless place on earth. And so he eventually, as a result of God calling him to bring hope to the inmates, his response to that was to bring in the Bible study, Experiencing God, just a study I'm walking through right now. It's like 30 years old. It's phenomenal, but so, so, so good. So anyway, he decided to bring this Bible study into the prison to the inmates. And so many men were saved that violence dropped 73%. There were inmates who felt like they were called by God into ministry. So they established a Bible college within the prison. And then inmates began to be set out as missionaries, sent out as missionaries to other maximum security prisons to be able to share the good news of of Jesus with these other prisons. So what God asked Burl Kane to do was seemingly impossible. Maybe it just straight up was impossible without the hand of God and without the work of God, but it was a God-ordained work that he wanted to have happen in the prison, and the only person who could make it happen was the warden of the prison. And so he could have chosen not to participate in what God had for him, and havoc would have prevailed, hopelessness would have prevailed, you know, Senseless murders would have continued to happen and violence within the state penitentiary. But no, he did what God called him to do. And basically what seemed like was an impossibility actually happened. Mm -hmm. 
Have you ever had a crisis of belief in your own life? Something that you feel like God's asking you to do and it's just way bigger than you. It just feels like all the odds are against you. If you were to make a pros and cons sheet, you were to to consider all that God had in mind for you and you were like, there's just no stinking way. There's just no way this can happen. Maybe you're experiencing this right now. God's asking you to do something that's just way bigger than you. I am taking on a project right now that feels way bigger than me. So I get it. I'm sitting in this space right now. But this is not just a one-time experience for us. A lot of my childhood, I believed that God had one purpose for my life and it would happen in one shining moment. The sky would open up, the angels would sing, you know, the light would shine upon me and I would know that this is what I was created for. And I no longer believe that to be true. I believe that God has purposes for us every single day, every single season every single year. And, and it, de- it depends on us saying yes for them to happen through us. So it's not a one-time experience. It's a regular occurrence to experience a crisis of belief. So you're in a crisis of belief right now. God has called you to something way beyond. How do you take hold of that and not shrink back? How are you, how are you able to lean toward that and not shrink back? Well, I failed first. Okay. <laughs> You know, the first thing I did was, well, the first thing I did was get really excited about it and feel very grateful that God was calling me to do this thing. And then I felt completely overwhelmed by it and tried to do it all of my own accord. Like I need to line up the things and I need to, you know, take steps kind of thing. It was kind of like me running off without the Lord to do the thing that he had asked me to do. And then I, it wasn't working. And so I admitted that it wasn't working And I was like, Lord, I'm so sorry. And then I had to actually kind of remember what he had called me to. And it was very simple. I just, I made it bigger. (laughs) Not that it's not a big thing. It's so I'm, I'm writing now in a way that I've not done before. So I write every Wednesday afternoon and every Saturday morning, and I'm averaging about 2,300 to 2,500 words a week. And I just, he didn't tell me how many words I needed to write. He didn't tell me, you know, Shawnee, yeah, it wasn't this big overwhelming thing. It was just, I want you to write. And here's what I want you to write. I want you to write stories of encounters with me. And so once I came back to that, then I was like, okay, I can step into this and I can make this happen. And I've found a rhythm of just being obedient to God on those days at those times and setting that time aside. And I don't know what will happen with all the things that I'm writing down, but I don't need to worry about that. What I'm hearing you say is just... Take the next step. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for summarizing that for me. (laughs) I just had to learn the same thing recently. And you don't have to do it my way. You don't have to fail first. You can come to the crisis of belief and just choose to step into what God has for you without freaking out and trying to do it on your own. I just did the same thing. Came to the same conclusion. Freaked out. Got to where you're at right now. So Yeah. (laughs) So it works, but it's not the recommended way. Anyway, the way that we... The way that we respond when we come to a crisis in belief in our own lives, it tells us a lot about what we believe about God, but it also tells the world around us what we believe about God. So let's respond in faith. Let's trust him for what he has for us. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.